Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we are here with Evan Brumbar. He is with Brumbar Properties in Milton, Ohio. And Evan, we love to kick this off with a story. So can you just start us off with a crazy real estate transaction that you've experienced? One thing I'll clarify, it's West Milton, just to clarify. So if okay. anybody looks it up, they might get the wrong town. Um, but uh, yeah, I recently had a deal. Um, gentleman found me on Google, called me, wanted somebody to manage his property. Poor gentleman bought this house when his parents died and because of a Medicaid lien, he has a Medicaid loan to the state of Ohio. And um, he wanted to figure out how to deal with this. He's living in the little one bedroom garage that's been renovated. He's got a four bedroom house. He ran into this guy who has taken advantage of him, um, isn't paying his rent, actually got the old gentleman to put a transfer on death deed so that if something happened to him, the house would go to the, this tenant who wasn't even paying. All kinds of just abusive stuff that this gentleman's doing, threatening the guy's dog. So he wanted help. Um, I told him, I don't manage for other people, but I do manage properties that I own. Um, so we worked out a deal where we were going to buy the, I was going to buy the property subject to, which simply means um, we're going to leave the mortgage in place. I'm going to pay the mortgage payments for him. Um, but it would still technically show up on his credit. And there's some, some technicalities you have to do to protect the seller in that case so that they don't get messed over by it. We had this all deal worked out. We had it in contract, sent that off to the closing company. And unfortunately, although it's not illegal to do a, a, a subject to, it's a little tricky, but in the state of Ohio, when it's a Medicaid lien, there's a specific law written that says that the, the, the state of Ohio has to approve it, or if they deny it, it's not allowed to happen. And unfortunately, they came back and denied it. I would argue that it had something to do with the fact that there's an underlying 3% loan on the property. And they, in this current market, they, they want to make more money than that. And they see me as an investor buying a property for in the $30,000 range. Um, I, th I think they thought I would just pay cash and be done with it. But I'm a little bit more creative than that. So he and I did some talking. Big part of his problem is he wanted to, he's in his 70s. He wanted to make sure he knew that he had a safe place to live for the rest of his life. So part of the question was that. Another part of it was protecting the fact that he had this dog that means everything to him. Um, so he has to be able to keep the dog, have a fenced in yard, those kinds of things. And this tenant he has, has threatened him, threatened to kill his dog, things that scare him. My plan, obviously, as soon as I get full control, um, is to just evict this guy, give him a, a notice, 30-day notice, get him out and start over. Um, and this, the seller is concerned. So we worked out a deal instead as a backup deal. It's a master lease option um, where I will lease it from him. I will make his payments for him, but the deed will remain in this gentleman's name. Um, still, the only problem left with that is the gentleman's living in the house right next to this tenant who scares him, who he's concerned about. So I had a one-bedroom house come available in a town about 20 minutes away, 
this gentleman loved the idea. We moved him into that house. We literally yesterday helped him move his stuff there. Um, he has a couple more things to do. I'm not quite ready to give the final uh, notice to the current tenant because I'm holding off until this gentleman has everything out of the property that he is concerned about so he doesn't have to go back and put himself at risk. But I was able to fence in the yard for him and stuff so that the, it's ready for him um, so that he's safe. And like coming home one night, I saw a refrigerator alongside the road that worked. Um, and this poor gentleman had literally no refrigerator. So I picked it up, took it to him. He's ecstatic that he now has a refrigerator. Um, I had a stove left behind in one of my tenants left behind. I gave that to him. Just little things. And this guy is so incredibly ecstatic and happy. You can just see him smiling ear to ear that he now has a safe place to live away from this guy. And he has a contract with me that says he can live there for the rest of his life for a set rent. And I'm never allowed to increase it. And on my end, I'm buying the house well below market. So even if he lives another 20 years at this low rent, I'm going to make out very well and, and be very happy with it. And Problem. that is the key that I think too many investors don't think about. They think it's all about making money. Well, yeah, we want to make money. But the reality is our job is to find a problem and find a way to fix it that benefits all parties. And by simply sitting back, listening to this guy's needs and figuring out a way that we can structure it that is beneficial to both of us. I think that's what the business is really all about. So I know you have a lot that you can talk about. And this is, your story gives a pretty great example of all the things that you know how to do, like creative financing. You were talking about subject two, you're talking about master leases, master leases with options, all these types of things. I mean, these are all concepts within themselves. I know you have a passion for the money system. Maybe if, if you wouldn't mind taking us and we'll go kind of, this is not our typical flow, but I'm really excited to go down this flow. So if you don't mind talking about your take on the money system, and then maybe we can transition that into different solutions people can provide to sellers that are maybe not normal. To give you a little bit of background, I learned about the money system when I was told about a book uh, called The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin, probably 20 years ago. And honestly, I didn't read it right away. I went to YouTube and I found a video that's an hour long with him giving a speech, giving a synopsis of it. And I listened to that and I really thought this has all got to be a bunch of crap. It just seemed too outrageous to possibly be true. But prior to that date, I would watch the news and they would talk about financial stuff and none of it made any sense. It was like all the way up here. I had no idea what they were talking about. How could these things work? Uh, because they were saying things that were completely the opposite of logic. But after listening to that, every time I, I watched these news broadcasts, through that lens, everything they said made sense all of a sudden. So I went down this rabbit hole of learning about the fractional reserve lending system, which came into existence. It's been kind of done and redone a number of times over centuries. But, and... and this current Federal Reserve System that we have is really the third time that it's happened in the United States, but it's the biggest and has complete control. Came into existence in 1913. And basically, the Federal Reserve is a entity that is not part of the federal government. They're a private company. 
they're private and, and they're, they're, they're a gaggle of people who just want to control us, really. Um, and they have the ability to literally create money out of nothing. And you'd have to learn the whole system, but basically to simplify it to a point, if I go to the bank to take out a $100,000 loan on a uh, mortgage, they will tell you they have to have certain reserves and this, that, and the other. And that's true, but that's all back of the napkin, funny working with numbers. The reality is when you sign on that dotted line saying, I owe you 100000 they go in the back room, type something into a computer, and poof, $100,000 appears out of nowhere that did not exist until you took that loan out. It's literally, that's how it works. And if you get into it real deep, basically when the Federal Reserve rele releases a certain amount of money, because of the tricks that the, the um, banks are allowed to do, you wind up with 10 times that amount of money or more suddenly, or not suddenly, but over the next short period of time, flowing into the economy. Well, people hear this about prices rising, that's inflation. No, prices rising is the sign of inflation. Inflation is actually the inflation of our money system. That, that Federal Reserve System creating new money out of nothing is causing the dollar I have in my pocket to be worth less and less every day. So, pardon? Buying power. Yes, exactly. Buying power. We should be measuring our wealth in our ability to buy things. So the more um, stuff that I need on a daily basis that I can buy with the money I have, the richer I am. Well, the fractional reserve lending system has us all thinking in the terms of dollars and cents. And what's really happening is you're thinking, oh, I'll buy this house and I'll make $200 a month cash flow. Well, that's fine today, but a year from now, that's the same as making $190 a month cash flow. Or three years from now, now that's worth the same as making $150 a month cash flow uh, because of the way the whole system works. Um, and it's an extremely in-depth thing to really learn about and understand. It sounds like a load of crap, but when you really dig into it and do your checking, I'm telling you it's absolutely true. And it's a big part of why I think some investors fail or barely get by is because they don't take into account the effects of that fractional reserve lending system and how the, the inflation actually is fighting against them every step of the way. I would argue, I would so argue let's take, owning mm -hmm. real let's estate, deeper. real stuff is the way to hedge against that inflation. But you have to understand how the inflation totally. is playing against you in order to play the game. So let's, yeah, let's dive into that. So one of the statements you made was when a, essentially you get a mortgage loan, that's, that creates 10x in the money supply. Can you kind of break that down? The idea is the Federal Reserve lends this money to the banks. And then the banks, and this is, again, still oversimplified, the banks can then loan it to you. And the Federal Reserve is creating those new money, that new money. And it all happens almost instantaneously. But you you borrow that 100000 The bank created it out of nothing. They then give you that check. You go put that check in your bank account at another bank. Well, that other bank 
gets to count that 100,000 as its reserves for that reserve limit that we talked that I mentioned. So now that means they have that 100,000, they can now loan essentially a million dollars off of that 100,000 if the reserve threshold is 10%. So each bank creates it happening okay. again and it can happen theoretically if you do the math on it about 10x by the time it's all said. Yeah, so what you're saying is by the printing of the original money going to the bank then whether it ends up in your bank or the seller's bank or whoever ends up with the money, that bank that holds that money now, based on the rule of like holding 10% reserves, creates a million dollars of money in loans. And so the million dollars they're giving out in loans, that money's also coming from the Federal Reserve because they're going back to of them to make those not. loans, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Without going real in depth, and I don't have all the answers, to be honest. I, if anyone tells you they have all the answers, you need to run from them. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, I don't have mm -hmm. all the answers, but essentially, yes. And the problem then becomes that money then flows into the economy. So whether we know it or not, when I go to buy a Big Mac at McDonald's, suddenly, because there's so much money out there, this fake money that's been created... McDonald's says, wait a minute, we're having a lot more people buy Big Macs. Let's raise the price of our Big Mac because supply and demand then takes over and allows for that. Um, so the more money that exists, the more prices go up. And this is not something I'm perfectly clear on as far as, you know, I'm not clear on like when exactly money is printed. So, so you're saying that money is printed at the time of request for the loan the the banks are not getting it from the Federal Reserve that already has it printed. Well, my understanding it's being created for every new loan. My imperfect understanding is that this is all mm -hmm. happening electronically in the background instantaneously. Um, like the when the Federal Reserve yeah. announces their their percentage rates, many of those rates are actually referring to how much the bank is allowed it has to pay to borrow the money from the Federal Reserve. So if you go in and you're going to borrow 100000 at 3%, well, they just go in the back room and borrow the money from the Federal Reserve at 1%, and they make a 2% spread on nothing because they didn't really put anything into the game. Now, the, the negative side of this for the banks is if enough people figure out, wait a minute, there's a problem. They create that run on the bank kind of problem. The entire system could crash. That's the kind of the surface, like that's kind of some of the stuff that was going on in 08 when we had that crash. There was some of that that going on that was creating that. All because really the Federal Reserve created the problem to start with. Yeah, it's like when um, you have the airlines are overbooking their flights because they're basing a certain percentage of people won't show up. But this is. Seems like they're they're banking that ninety percent of their people at any given time will be yeah, asking yeah, for their money. That's a that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Maybe we could transition from this now. So essentially, and, and I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but essentially, based on what you're saying, is systems created to encourage you to leverage. Not a great system necessarily for the end person in society because they're constantly having to play a game where they're beating inflation. But for those that maybe understand such things. Maybe it shows that 
you're way better off playing the game and you know le- taking this leverage to to expand with inflation otherwise you just get beat the only argument i would have against that is at some point and i'm fearful that we're getting close to this point the entire system has to crash because the way it's structured if you literally took every dollar electronic and printed that exists in the world you could not pay off all the debt that exists because the Federal Reserve loans you the principal, but you have to pay back principal and interest. And you don't have the interest because they haven't printed it. So what you wind up running into um, is this situation where there's not enough money to pay it back. So the only way for the system to continue is if you keep borrowing more and more and more every day. And if at some point that borrowing slows too much or stops, the entire system could crash to the ground overnight. So if you have too much leverage in that, when that happens, then you're going to be on the bad end of that. And a lot of people in 08 found that. They were so hyper leveraged that when the values of their properties dropped by 50%, they were bankrupt and they lost everything. The bank took everything. That's one of the reasons I don't like the idea of commercial loans, because commercial yeah. loans, the bank can just call you up and say, hey, your loan's due in 30 days. Where do you come up with that when nobody's loaning money? Whereas if you have fixed rate residential kind of stuff, they can't do that. So you can keep it going as long as you can make sure you have the income um, and, and have an over leverage yourself so that you can do that. And that's where creative financing comes in to allow you to 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 keep that kind of leverage in place in a way that's long term a little bit more survivable. Yeah, and it's it's a scary game. I mean, we interview, you know, a handful of people every single week and usually at least once a week or so we've experienced somebody that was either completely taken down in the crash in 2008 or, you know, or was very Absolutely. very close. And on and anytime there is a financial emergency, a crash like that, there are always winners and losers. So everybody that loses a million, somebody else is making a million somewhere. I got really lucky. I was not in the investing world in 08. I got into it in 2011 when all these foreclosures were on the market. So I was able to have watched the bad stuff happen, recognize the risk, and buy these properties at really low points with really low leverage so that I'm sitting real pretty right now. Honestly, I could go out and sell one or two of my properties today and pay off every bit of leverage that I have. And there's an argument to be made why maybe I should do that. But I have this allergy. I'm allergic to selling. And as long as I've got a property that's making <laughs> good income, I just don't want to get rid of it. And the truth is my leverage is so low that if if my rents dropped by 50%, I'll survive. I might not be happy about it, but I'll survive. I would bet you most landlords, if their drop, rents drop by 50%, they're bankrupt. Well, and I think you make a really good argument. I love how you use the analogy of allergic to selling, you know, And because why not, if you're willing to lose the property by selling it, why not just leverage it in at that point anyways and get the money and at least have the chance of keeping it? Planning for the possible future. 
And like, like right now, I suspicion totally. that we're on the verge of a massive disruption. I won't say crash in the way of 08 because it could look very different. Um, we could have high values, but with the inflation, the same effect as the, the crash of 08. But I do think we have very hard times in the next couple of years, most likely. And I need to be prepared to survive those hard times. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go and most importantly, how you want to get there. Where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us, and let's get you on a straight-line path to freedom. So this is a great point for the listeners. Like anybody that's listening right now, what would be your advice to stay safe and operate with intelligence in this market that is obviously unpredictable? In my view, what I have been doing is two things. I have not been buying a whole lot recently. Um, because I can't find deals. Things are selling for so high a price, it's not even funny. But if you look for those deals, those diamond in the rough kind of deals, then you can do really well. Uh, if you have cash and you can't find a property to buy, wait a year. There's probably going to be some bargains coming available because there's going to be the people who are buying at the top right now who are going to pressured and they're going to have no choice but to sell to try to salvage their financial reality because they overpaid. But if you look at those little diamonds in the rough, the, the grandma that has a property that needs $15,000 worth of fix-up, it needs a couple thousand dollars worth of paying somebody to haul the trash away, she calls a realtor and the realtor is going to come in and say, you got to haul this away, you got to do all this repair, and then I can list it for this. If I list it like this, no homeowner can buy it because no bank will approve it. So it's not worth the listing. I can come in and say, okay, I will buy this in a creative way. I will take it where you don't have to do any of the cleanup. I'll do all the repairs. You don't have to pay a realtor. We can figure out a way to get you where you need to be. Get this out of your, your situation and I can still get it at a deal. So I think those off-market 
uh, for sale by owner, and occasionally through a realtor. You find those people as well who they've listed with a realtor, but they're they have this astronomical price. And if you can get past the blockage that many realtors create of not letting you speak directly with the seller and figure out what the real problem is, they'll tell you, I want 200,000. Why do you want 200,000? I want 200,000. Why? Well, if you dig into it and you find out, oh, you owe 180 and you can't afford to continue making the payments and you need $10,000 to pay off this debt so that you can live comfortably. Well, you know what? Let's do a subject to I'll pay you $15,000 cash. You're going to be comfortable and I get to take over your 3% mortgage. Uh, mm -hmm. Integrity is key. There are too many dishonest people out there in the business that give us a bad name. Mm -hmm. If two people come into a deal, both people should walk away happy with the results. Both people should get something good out of that deal. If that doesn't happen, if one gets a good deal and the other one gets cheated, that that's wrong. That should never happen. So let's kind of dive deeper into creative financing strategies. So, I mean, you, okay. you mentioned subject two. Um, what other strategies are you utilizing currently in this market um, that follow the same angle? Well, um, one thing to consider, let's say you find a uh, long-term uh, landlord been a landlord for 15 years and I am shocked at how many of them turn all their paperwork over to the tax guy and know nothing about the tax ramifications of what they're doing. So now they want to sell their double for 180,000 that they bought for 50,000 15 years ago. They've depreciated it half away. So what they don't recognize is that they're going to pay uh, depreciation recapture on maybe 20,000. They're going to pay capital gains on what I say, like, I forget what price, like, yeah, whatever that difference between the, the original purchase 30. price and sale price mm -hmm. is. They don't realize that they're going to get hit with a fifteen or $20,000 tax bill. So you come into them and say, do you realize this? You should talk to your tax guy and make sure I'm right. But I believe that you're going to get hit with this massive tax bill. But I have an option. Why don't you let me pay you a down payment and then you be the bank and I will make a monthly mortgage payment to you. Now you change your stack structure. You now stretch that taxes in interest and in, in principal out over the next 30 years or 20 years or whatever we agree to. And you significantly decrease or defray your tax situation by doing that. So the right person who is in the right place to do a seller carry back could make some sense. Um, I bought uh, from one guy three different deals I did with him. One, I bought four properties. Uh, the next deal I bought one and the next deal I bought three. Actually, the one for one and the one for three I did simultaneously because the one for one, I really didn't want the house, but I wanted the other three. So I got him to give me two separate deals. Uh, I took the one he didn't want and in order to get the ones, uh, the one I didn't want for to get the ones he wanted. And what I did was I did a land contract wrap. It was kind of like a, a subject to, but it was a land contract where I was paying his mortgage for him. I paid him a little fee each month for the, for the, the fact that he was continuing to manage to have the property in his name and bought him over time. But this guy was, he didn't take care of his property. 
So they were run down. They needed a lot of work. So I was able to buy them for basically the mortgage balance plus a few dollars, um, which which made each property $25,000. So one of them that I think I paid like $27,000 for when you figured out how much was for each one is a double that was a real, it, it, it needed a lot of work. So we got everybody out, got it fixed up, and now it's renting for $950 downstairs and $625 upstairs for a $27,000 plus maybe another $15,000 in investment. That's a pretty good uh, return on investment, especially when you consider the first $27,000 is somebody else's money. So the only money I really had to put into it was the ten or fifteen dollars that it took me to fix it up. Um, so I did a lot of a few land contracts that way. Um, another one that I did that way, um, a house that the lady bought it, moved into it, um, lived there a couple of years, moved out, and she didn't know what she was doing. So she rented it to a gentleman for exactly what her mortgage payment was, EITI. Her mortgage payment went up. She didn't even raise his rent. So she was actually losing about 25, 30 bucks a month. I came to her with the idea. She just wanted it out from under her hands. So literally this house I bought for the balance of the mortgage and I gave her 200 bucks. Took over land contract after several years and I paid it off. That property is probably worth, probably at the time was probably worth 80. I got it for 52 and it's worth probably 100, 130, 140 today. Um, but it helped her out and it helped me out. So those are some of the kinds of things I've, I've done. Again, this master lease option that I just did. Um, I'm always open to whatever creative way outside the box thinking might work. I'm constantly trying to learn from others. That's one of the reasons I'm a member of the Real Estate Investors Association um, is because we share, we talk to each other, we learn from each other. They bring, bring trainers in. So they do have classes occasionally, like once a month. But honestly, I have found that the interactions, the, the networking deals are so much more valuable in that organization. Not only do I learn, oh, you did this, it worked well, you did that and it didn't work well. Okay, I'll learn from that. Um, so you get some of that. Plus, you find people with investments, with money that they need to invest. Um, for instance, one of the things people do, they they have money in an IRA, a self-directed IRA from their job. But they can't go buy a rental that they're going to work on. Because the moment you swing a hammer one time at a rental that you bought in an IRA, your IRA is destroyed and becomes taxable penalty the whole nine yards. But they're very happy. Now they can buy a property there and hire out all the work, but they also sometimes want the hands off. Oh, you want to buy that property for 50 grand? I'll loan you the 50 grand out of my IRA and you just make the payments back into the IRA. There, so you find money people in that way. Uh, you find partners, you, you know, I, you find a, a six unit that you want to buy, but you just don't have the means to put it together. You find this partner that says, hey, I'm newer than you. I don't know about the maintenance piece of this, but I've got the 30000 down that you need. Let's partner. And then you can work together, be 50-50 partners. One brings in that money. One brings in the, the maintenance and, and that kind of stuff. And you work together and you both split the profit. So being in the, these investment group, what would you say? I mean, you mentioned the value of 
the lenders that kind of come through and then you mentioned the strategies. What would you say is the, the most value you get from the group? I honestly think it's the personal relationships I'm building because I now have business partners that are friends that literally when I have a possible deal, I call them up and I say, Hey, how would you structure this? Do you have an idea? What am I missing? How can I pull this together? I feel like I can almost pull it together, but I got this piece I can't pull in. And I think that interpersonal uh, relationship is quite valuable um, to the point that like this Sunday, um, I don't know when you're going to air this, but but this Sunday is uh, July, uh, July 3rd now. Um, we are going to be meeting at, at, at our president's house, about eight or 10 of us, just to have a picnic and talk real estate. But we're all friends. Um, and we bounce things off of each other. And, and we, we actually get together and play games. We actually, I don't know if you've heard of Cashflow 101 by Robert Kidd. We mm-hmm. actually monthly get together to play that game. And it's a, it, it's not even about competition. It's about learning from the game and interacting and networking with those people who become who become your partners. And I, and I just think that personal interaction is quite likely more, more important than anything else. So you see, essentially, as we come into a turbulent market, we'll say, you see creative being the path forward for people to continue to acquire properties while I keeping them safe or safer from... The creative ideas are going to be a much bigger piece of that puzzle, yes. Um, I actually think that an honest investor with the integrity to honor his word, who's not going to give us all a bad name, that can go in the next two years as interest rates skyrocket, people want out of their home that they got at a 2.5% interest rate, subject to wraps, those types of things where you can keep that financing in place can make a deal much, much more amenable to both parties. So, I mean, you brought up honesty and integrity and being a man of your word um, multiple times now. So have you always been somebody that you considered high character or is that a skill set that you've developed over time? I'm not sure I like being referred to as high character just because I don't think that much of myself. I don't believe that. I believe I'm a good person, but I don't Hmm. like to oversell myself. Um, Typically the people that oversell themselves are probably the ones you want to stay away from. I would argue that I've always been largely that way. Um, My father came from old order German Baptist background. I had a very good upbringing. Now, my parents were split up, but both parents were good parents who, who added a lot to my life about being honest and, and having integrity. At 16, I was working uh, for $2 an hour to bring home the money to give to mom so she could make the mortgage payment. So I had that, that uh, I, I grew up poor um, and had to learn the value of a dollar early. So that was a big part of it. I then became a volunteer paramedic firefighter, did that for a number of years. That was, that was my, entire, my entire life. Um, for 
about 25 years. So I was all about putting everything I had into helping people. I would work the weekend, several hours, you know, like 40 hours over the weekend at my full-time job to survive. And then all week long, when most everybody was working Monday through Friday, I was going on every single medic call that came in because we were a volunteer organization and um, there was nobody else available. And I dedicated my life to being there to help people. So I think that's just part of who I am. Yeah, that's absolutely tremendous. Evan, so like, what is your vision for the next um, 12 to 24 months? Like, what are you working on business, like in terms of building or are you looking more like just kind of give me an idea what you're looking at right now? Honestly, I'm not as um, greedy as some might be. Um, I have enough property that I've got a couple renovations that I'm working on right now. And once I get those done, and get all the upgrades that I want. I put on like four roofs in the last couple months. A couple more roofs I want to put on. I put in a driveway the, uh, in the last month in a four unit that I have. Once I get all those upgrades done that I want to do so that I know I've got 30 years of life in these properties other than the, the general maintenance stuff, but I've got the main structure stuff solid. Um, I don't really think I'm going to be adding much unless there's just a bargain that I can't pass up um, simply because I value my time and my lifestyle more than that. And with the 20 couple properties that I have, I will be very comfortable because the way I bought them, I will have massive cash flow coming in from those. So I'm looking at once I get them, a little bit more where I want them in the next year or so. The plan, provided the economy allows it, is to maybe look at hiring an outside manager to manage the properties, because I'm doing all self-managed right now. Um, buy an RV and travel. Um, I worked 70, 80 hours a week, most of my life. I, if you're familiar with the cash flow game, I was in that rat race and I was running around in that rat race like, like an idiot. And I kept working overtime thinking, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. I didn't realize I was just feeding that stupid rat race. I was borrowing money for lifestyle and I was a fool. So in 2011, I had a negative net worth of like 50 grand. It finally hit me. This doesn't work. I have to do something different with my life. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. That's what I was doing. Um, so I started moving in a very different direction. Um, I've got to the point I don't have a credit card to money. The only the only money I owe is on, is on a couple of mortgages. Uh, I, I live a cash life now for the most part. Uh, and I'm trying to... because. Although I don't think he has everything right, I think Dave Ramsey's a great guy and has an awful lot of really, really valuable stuff to learn from. Um, so I try to live that cash life. And I'm trying to, to do that. So I figure in the next two years, I will be to the place where I will have, after paying a manager to manage my properties, I will be able to make more money than most people working 80 hours a week and be able to travel. And that's my. And that's what we're all about is the freedom. And I could, I could sense there's a lot of purpose in your life. I mean, you spent a lot of your life serving, 
as a medic in those types of ways? I think being honest and integrity will make a big difference in that life of purpose. If you are going around cheating people or playing games, your life will never have the purpose that you're you're trying to get. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. So, I mean, literally the last guest we just had on was talking yeah. about what he calls karma points. So he's like, you have bad karma points and you have good karma points. Like the more bad karma points you rack up, you know, bad stuff is going to come your way. And the more good karma you rack up, the more good stuff is going to come your way. So really, um, just tying into what you were saying, the more honest and, and with high integrity that you operate, essentially your business is going to grow at a better rate because the people that you're working with, they're going to refer you out and things of that nature. So, I mean, it becomes more organic growth. Whereas if you're doing things with the alternative strategy, you need to keep hunting forever because nobody's going to refer you out because you're, you're cutthroat, right? So... Um, and it, if you're you're familiar with the cash flow game, they have that where you can you land on charity and you can donate a portion of your income to charity. Um, I always wanted to be more charitable, but I held off. I was charitable in my time, but not in my money, um, because I thought I got to make more before I can do that. And about a year and a half or so ago, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to bite the bullet and I'm going to start donating. So there's two charities that I started donating to. I have it set up to automatically come out of my checking account every month going to those charities. And I don't know if it's karma, if it's God. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you my financial life has improved dramatically since I started doing that. Whatever the reason for it is. I was on an upward trend, but I am on a much more upward trend now. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you get what you give, essentially. Yeah, it's something that we hear a lot. Um, you know, the go giver mindset. So, I mean, it's just complete alignment with that, really. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just more of a statement than a question. I totally agree with you. Well, just just to put it out there, stop human traffic. This is. One of the organizations, Operation Oper, Operation Underground Railroad, OUR, yeah. is one of my favorite right on. charities that I donate to. It's not the only one, but it's one of the main ones I donate to. That's a huge Well, that's huge absolutely issue. tremendous, Evan. So, I mean, um, obviously you have a wealth of knowledge. If the audience wants to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Um, I would say just email me. Uh, at It's evan at brumballproperties.com. Um, that would probably be the best. Uh, honestly, if you search me, you'll probably find my cell phone number, but because I, I don't hide it, but at the same time, I don't want a million calls coming in. Of course. Um, absolutely fantastic. Evan Brumbaugh, I wanted to sincerely thank you for coming onto our show and giving us a glimpse of your life and business and everyone else out there chasing freedom. Freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you do nothing else, write down one action that you got from today and make sure to implement that in the next seven days and share it with somebody else, please, so that they can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you again for tuning in to today's episode and we'll catch you on the next one.
Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 